0: Before we begin, I want to uh, remind you or at least let you know, many of you already know that, um, uh, like Rob mentioned, John Taylor has gone to be with the Lord this week, Um, and uh, he was a cornerstone of this church and this whole Gorge community, I think, and uh, the service will be at the Alliance Church uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And if you're interested in helping set up tables and take down tables and that sort of thing, they could they could use the help this afternoon. Um, I think they're getting there around probably an hour before, maybe one o'clock or so, to, s- to make sure tables are set up. And then we'll need people to stay around later uh, to help put things up and back up. And we want to leave <clears throat> we want to leave the church at the CMA Church in as good a condition as we found it. So any help would be we appreciated. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, we ask that you speak to us now as we spend this time with you, this hour this morning. May your presence be peace to us and your promise be fuel to our faith in us and that your purpose be fulfilled in us today and in the coming week. This morning, even though it is a heavy day for many of us, we choose to rejoice in your compassion. And we rejoice in the compassion of the ancient praise from the psalmist who said the Lord's people, the Lord hears his people when they call him to help. He rescues them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the broken hearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And we count on that promise this morning, Father. Lord, today we are particularly struck by the psalmist's words and his confidence in you we ask that you spark the same trust and confidence in us today father we know that the good news can transform not only our eternal destiny but can transform our lives right now and our community right now so holy spirit we you know we can also be quite self-centered but today we don't want to keep all that to ourselves We ask that you anoint us, that you guide us, that you give us the courage to bring your transformative good news to someone who needs it today, someone we love, and in the week to come. And Father, we want to trust you as we participate in what you're doing on the earth today and this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We are taking a little pause from our series of hope today, um, uh, partly because. Of the memorial service for John later on this afternoon, and and just the things that are that are on our minds and hearts for a lot of us, for me, and for a lot of uh, a lot of you people out there. And and um, John was a good friend, but he was also a leader, and uh, and I just love him and respect him. But then we're going to look at uh, a little bit different, something a little bit different this morning. And so we'll get back to hope. It's kind of related, but we'll get back to it next week. Um, In 1973, there's a story about Jan Eric Olson. He's a convict, uh, and uh, he uh, tried to rob a bank, one of the largest banks in Stockholm, and uh, it fell through, didn't go as planned, but he ended up taking uh, four hostages, and he kept them in a bank vault for six days. Uh, he even got a friend out of prison to help him, and so they kept them in the, this bank vault for six days. And when the hostage crisis was, was finally resolved, the four hostages, strangely enough, refused to testify against their captors. And in fact, they even raised money for their defense. And we are asking, why did that happen? Well, evidently, the psychologists call this a... a um, an instinct a survival instinct and it now has the name the stockholm syndrome and the idea is that these people uh out of and in a way of survival and a way of coping they form this bond with their captors and it's the strangest thing and they come out and they have this sort of affection actually or some sort of connection with the people who held them captive it can be one of the scariest and most traumatic ordeals you can go through and, and somehow the instinct, the human instinct, sort of copes with this and forms this bond. And so it happens with other kidnappers or other people who are kidnapped or taken. And they, they, this, this Stockholm Syndrome, they cannot figure it out. And it's hard to study because people don't want to explain and testify how they form this bond. And so you explains how, how a, a women who are abused in their marriages end up staying with their husbands. Because they're afraid or because they don't know any other way or because they form this bond and somehow they feel like it's their own fault and so they stay in it and children are kidnapped and they end up seeing their captors as almost parents moms and dads and they may even have a fairly happy existence with them but what's strange is what they found out with some children even if they were taken when they were infants or small children What's really strange is that they know deep down that this is not right. Even if they've got this bond or fairly kind of happy in the situation, they know deep down there's something inside that says, this is not who I am. And I am someone else, and I belong someplace else. And they can't figure out. Some of them even have dreams. They'll dream and they'll see the pictures of their real mom and dad. Or they'll have a dream of of an old room in their house. There's something inside that tells them that this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I really wonder, they have buried this thing in their heart, and I really wonder if uh, that's how it is with God and us. That we are like these exiles living in a place we shouldn't be, being somebody we're not supposed to be, but there's something inside that says, "Mm, this ain't right. This is wrong. Something is not right here. This is not who I am. This is not who, where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. It's not where we belong. And people can go, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, we're all, I've got all this stuff, and I've got, everything's happy, and I'm doing really well. And yeah, don't worry about me. I'm, just, I'm perfectly normal. And yet, even in that situation, you think, hmm, something, I'm not in the right place here. Something is not right. Well, the Bible calls this the kingdom of God. That that's where we belong. That's where we belong, in the kingdom of God. And Thomas Mertens calls us this idea that we go, we try to make, maintain this facade that everything's good and everything's normal. He calls this our false self. And so we have this false self living in this false place that this is not, where, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is, this is not how we were supposed to live we were made for something else but we don't really quite understand where that is but the bible calls this the kingdom of god this is where we belong and i i reminds me of this this psalm psalm 126 when israel was was taken away as a captive and they knew that this is not where they're supposed to be and they they starts off he said um we when the Lord restored our well-being design, we thought we were dreaming. And at a time we laughed out loud and we shouted for joy. He accomplished great things for us. We were happy. And then they go on, they say and they plead, Lord, restore our well-being, just as the streams in the arid Negev are replenished. Those who shed tears as they plant, they will shout for joy when they reap the harvest and the one who weeps as he walks along carrying his bag of seed will certainly come in with a shout of joy carrying sheaves of grain. It's like they know this is what they're made for. They're made for something better and, whether, and, and this, is, this is their true self, not where they are. And I think that happens to us when we get these sort of glimpses, when the veil sort of flutters and we sort of get these glimpses of things of the kingdom of God in our, in, our, in our normal life. We may have this, we may read a story out of the scripture and have this, this new new uh, alive feeling in our lives that this spirit, that this story speaks to us. Or we get some kind of new insight that God has shown us. Uh, that uh, we see the stars when they come out at night for some reason, or we, we, we care for people. We just instinctively care for someone and then others care for us or uh, we see a toddler uh, blowing a kiss, or we cry for something, we, we love, we make love, we, we have dinner together, we make dinner for other people, we sing, we dance, or we hear, in my case, I hear some amazing voice on a stage and a, or amazing instrument, and I go, and it just moves me to tears, and I'm just overwhelmed, and I, and I don't have any words for it. And I say, that's the veil fluttering, and I get a glimpse of the kingdom. I get a glimpse of what God is doing. The Celtics call these things thin places where heaven and earth meet together. And you get these glimpses of things, and you go, something's not right. It's like the child who has a dream of their old room. And you go, something's not right here. I should be somewhere else. And, and we may not be able to articulate it, we don't really want to say it, maybe describe it, because people will think we're foolish or think that we're being silly, or you're just being emotional, and I I kid around that um, I think sometimes Sue thinks I'm becoming this, this emotional, uh, sentimental old man, and maybe that's true, uh, you know, maybe that's true, but we don't want to maybe talk too much about it because people might make fun of us, but we are... This is where we are intended to live, and we're moving forward towards something. We're moving toward a restoration, a renewal. We're moving toward a redemption, and we're renewing of a rescue, and we realize this is what my life was made for. This is what I'm made for. Well, several years ago, I discovered something that, wasn't, that should not have been a discovery. Uh, it should have been taught to me from the very beginning. And, uh, but I discovered it, and it was, it was different than what I thought. And that was the real gospel that Jesus is preaching. When we were early in our missionary career, um, we did evangelism like we were taught for the last 50, like, like it's been practiced in America for the last 50, 75 years. Where you, um, it really comes like to uh, sin management, is what Dallas Willard calls it. And uh, you just, you, you, it's a very transactional sort of thing. You, it's a very mechanical thing. You do this and you get your get out of hell free card. And I found myself even convincing people first that hell was real and existed. And then try to convince them I got a way out for you. So I had to do both. I had to evangelize hell and then evangelize the gospel. And I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. And Sue and I went through this sort of crisis, sort of thing. Is like, it it sounds too transactional, too mechanical, just to manage sin, just to get me out of hell, and then I'm supposed to have good behavior and stop sinning and maintain a pure life from now on. And I think Dallas Willard's phrase is pretty good about that. I was just trying to manage the sin, and we got discouraged, and we thought, Is this what we're selling? Is this the best we can do? Is this what we're selling? And we didn't, want to, we didn't want to express those questions to anybody out loud because we were afraid that the missionaries would judge us. Maybe our, our supervisors would reprimand us, maybe even take us off the field or at least say, hey, I think you need to come back for a while. We weren't ready to do that. We thought we were called there. And so we kind of kept it to ourselves. And I did this experiment. I think I've shared this before. I did this experiment where I did my work. If I was doing a class or seminars or, or sermon, I would prepare for that. But in my own time, all I did was read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then I would go back, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I did that for an entire year. That's all I read. Didn't read any other books except if for our work, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I realized that the gospel of Jesus was not just a transaction. It wasn't just assenting to some truths that are real, that are, that are non-negotiable. But it was the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus preached. He preached this transformation of us to live in the kingdom of God, to be where we're supposed to be. And to be the true self we are supposed to be. And I, that is the gospel. And I think that this is, this is good. This is a good thing. Um, they call this thing today, we did this like back in the early 90s, and we call, they call this thing today deconstruction. So it's got a word for it now. So I didn't know that. I guess that's what we were doing back then was deconstructing. But that's what they call it now, where you deconstruct your faith. And I actually think that's a pretty good thing to do, actually. I think it's okay to ask those questions. We come from a tradition where certainty is valued, but mystery not so much. And I think it's okay. God can handle that. He can handle those questions we have. We can say them out loud. And I think that's a good thing to do. The problem now, a lot, is when people deconstruct their faith, they have nowhere else to go. Or they leave it behind. So you've got some people who say, I don't want to do that. I've got to hold on to the past. I've got to hold on to everything. everything I, it's, in my, it's in my tradition. And they never want to let go. And then there's people who let go, but they don't pick up anything else to replace it. When in fact there's a real process here of, of deconstruction, or their construction first, and then deconstruction, and then reconstruction. Richard Rohr calls it order, disorder, reorder. And that's what it was. And what I say that it was a discovery, that shouldn't have been a discovery. It should have been told to me a long time ago. It should have been obvious to me that the gospel of Jesus is the kingdom of God. That it's not just about converts, it's about apprentices it's about disciples it's an invitation to participate in a new kingdom now not just in the future that we join in and do and work with Jesus and work with the Holy Spirit of what he's doing now we're partnering with him to work for the kingdom now and the church is that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven Disciples of Jesus Christ living out the life of the kingdom now. And yes, what we do, I don't know how it works, but how we live and what we do here in the present somehow gets incorporated in that consummation when Jesus returns. Not really sure how it works, but that's what I feel like God is promising. That it gets, that it gets focused in. And it helps me focus on being transformed, not just managing my sin. It's not just trying to be a good person and trying to manage and, and control this. It's actually being transformed. That I'm not just trying to do good things and, and, and not sin, that I do good things because I'm becoming a good person. And you do good things because you're becoming a good person, you're becoming a person of the kingdom. You're in exile, but you're becoming a person of the kingdom. And that's so much better. And I really think that's what Jesus meant when he said the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I think that's what it means. It's just that we're just doing these things automatically because we, that's who we are. That's who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's the focus. It is becoming. Brennan Manning, who is a, uh, um, a failed monk, <laughs> he had to be, stop being a monk because he was an alcoholic. And he found Jesus. And he writes this He says, The gospel is absurd, and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again with but one purpose in mind to make brand new the creation. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who surrender to the mystery of the fire of the Spirit that burns within who would live in ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent Word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it means to be a Christian. I don't think I could say it any better than that. Few things reorient us like, like as powerfully as discipleship does. Discipleship, following Jesus, learning Him, that just reorients everything. It's leaving behind our false self, leaving behind the facade that we're in, the, the exile world that we're in, and entering into our true home, and entering in and recognizing our true selves, that we are exiles that we are returning to our home in the kingdom. And this kingdom uses big nouns like joy and glory and peace. And it uses big verbs like forgive and love and save. This is what the kingdom looks like. You're saying, well, what about the future? Isn't the kingdom the future? Well, we live in what Christians call a now and not yet we live in a now and not yet it's a tension but we live but we are people who are christocentric the creation was created and it is good and it is good but yes it is fallen and so we live in this tension but i think i'm asking that we lean into the now part like a lot of christians I prefer the not yet part. I prefer to look out there and say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. But the thing is, I found out that if I'm always kindly looking out there, when I look around here, all I see is despair, frustration, injustice, threats, danger. That's all I see. And I'm calling us to maybe to lean in, to lean in to the now, to say it out loud that I want to lean into the now. And I've heard people, and I've heard people say, uh, well-meaning Christians just say, oh, you know, I'm just waiting for God to take me. Or I'm waiting for the rapture to come and evacuate me out of this place. And, and I'm thinking, you're kind of missing the point here. I mean, if I understand that there are sometimes it, things that life is so painful that you want that I understand that I really do I've been there that life is painful and you want out but when you hear from people who have really nice homes and have loving families and they never have a worry about missing a meal and you're going you're kinda missing the point here we have a job to do and you're also missing the beauty of the kingdom that's present now kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You miss that beauty, and you miss out on the job. And you miss that beauty of of light that kind of sort of shines through and even dances. One of my favorite things about living here is in the evenings, and if you're going west, you see the clouds and the sun comes in and the colors are just amazing on those clouds when the clouds aren't here you know we we kind of we enjoy the light yeah i enjoy the light i'm I'm an early riser i don't I, i like getting up in the early mornings and going out to the porch and i like that and but i don't really recognize the light necessarily it's there it kind of we're kind of bathed in it and sometimes when the clouds come over it completely blocks the light but I tell you, if you, don't see, if you don't have the clouds, we don't see those colors. If we don't have the clouds, the colors don't sing. And it's one of my favorite things to do, to go down to the hook at sunset and see those colors. And we have, some, we have good friends who's trying to get Sue to go down there and say, you need to go down there with your colorblind glasses. I don't know, some of you may not know, Sue, my wife is colorblind. So she, but she has these glasses that helps her see color during the day. And you can see almost the light sing. And I feel that way about that's what the kingdom is here. That yes, the clouds are there, no doubt. But sometimes the clouds make the light sing. And they come out with just brilliant colors. And that's recognizing the kingdom of God. And so we have people who are doing kingdom work. And that's bright. And that's the colors that we see people doing kingdom work, not because they're obligated to or not because people deserve it and not because they're trying to please please some parody of a cheap God. It's because that's who they are. They're Christ followers. What else would they do? That's who they are. And we see beauty and we see redemption and we see miracles and we see love and we see wholeness and healing and renewal and friendships and conversations and we see work that's worthwhile, that's doing, and music, and art, and justice, and, and children giggling, and even aging can be beauty. I'm reading a book on aging right now. That's why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> even that can be beautiful, even though we don't really know it. And we also see it in the bread and the wine. And that's one of the reasons why we do communion. Because communion triggers our memories. It's like the dream that the children have of the old room or the mom or the dad. Communion triggers the memory. It reminds us of our true self and our true home. It brings to mind all those promises that came true in Jesus Christ. It reminds us and I really think it fascinating I think I've mentioned this before but to me it's a fascinating thing that um, that Jesus had all these concepts with him, all these quantum ideas quantum physics quantum mechanics biology all these kind of things and when he left he could have told the disciples some of these things but what did he say he didn't say believe this he said do this and so we do this and I think these are things when we see the kingdom we're we are basically Mary Magdalene all over again and that's why I love this story this is probably my favorite resurrection story because from beginning to end John is talking about creation all the way he is talking about creation and if you notice in the story when when Rob was reading it when does when does Mary go to the grave first day of the week when did she go it's still dark she goes to the tomb, nobody there, she's worried. She goes and tells the disciples, she, he comes, she comes back to the tomb, they are, they're there, the disciples take off, some guy shows up and she thinks it's who? The gardener. Very appropriate mistake. This is all about the new creation. This is all about it, and we do this to remember this. When Constantine became emperor and made Christianity like the official religion, communion changed. It used to be around the table. Now we, now we, have, we come to the front and, and do this and take communion. And it changed quite a bit. And you go to church to church to church, and they all do it differently. And they all have different theology about communion. But one thing they all have in common, that we all have in common, is the word remember everyone says that from the catholic priest to the fundamental uh, baptist church in east texas they all do it to remember remember this trigger recognizes that this is not just a transaction this is not mechanical it's not just a men- mental ascent. we turn around and we go teacher it's you it's you i remember i remember When I was going through this process, and we even contemplated leaving Christianity, one of the things that stopped us was like, what do we do about communion? What do we do about that? I mean, non-believers, they can care for people. Non-believers can cook dinner for other people. But Christians see it as a sacrament. It is a sacrament, it is a holy, sacred act to make egg salad sandwiches for a memorial service. That is a sacrament. And what we do for each other is a sacrament. It is sacred because He's present. And it's only Christians who can say this bread, yes, the little piece that we'll take, can satisfy physical hunger. Bread can satisfy physical hunger. But we Christians say it can also satisfy emotional hunger and spiritual hunger it satisfies the need of the heart only Christians can bring back this memory of Jesus with breaking bread and pouring wine that's why we do it so we're going to celebrate communion this morning Now normally on on uh, the first Sunday of the month we do it by intinction where you come and dip into the into the cup but we're going to do it a little bit differently this morning. I'm still going to ask you to come up. And I think there is something to coming up and, and, and somebody here offering the bread and the wine. Uh, but you'll take a bread and eat it and also take a, the little cup and drink it here at the altar. Or you can take it back with you to, the ch- to your seat if you want some time in private and prayer before you take the elements. So you can come and take and eat. And I'll take the empty cups here. Or you can go back to your seat and sit down. Uh, if you cannot come or don't want to come to the front, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Sue's got some some cups and, uh, and and bread that she'll happy to to give you. you. Just need to sit down and stay down. Raise your hand and she'll be looking and she can bring it to you. So um, we also have gluten free options. Okay, <laughs> so so it's going to be kind of a free for all. Uh, but we're going to ask you to come and uh, take communion. And I'll go down here and prepare it.